Um, you know, I was so tired this morning and then I got into that worship and nothing invigorates me like worshiping Jesus does. But I wanted to say, because uh, I don't think I've said this publicly yet, but most of you do know, I had been dealing with a sickness since August until about a month, possibly a month and a half ago, I started really feeling better. And I just want you guys to know I'm feeling better. I'm super, super, super thankful for this church and for just all the prayers, all the support, all the advice, all the uh, people who came and cleaned my house, people who brought me food. I'm just overwhelmed and really, really thankful. And I didn't say this last night, but this morning the Lord said something to me and through that process, I had to learn to ask for help. And it was uncomfortable for me. I didn't really like it. I can really ask for help from family, but the church is the family, right? And we are here for each other and we support each other. And I just felt like there's some people this morning who maybe you're going through something really difficult, but no one knows. You've just kept it to yourself. You've kept it, you've just been carrying it all by yourself. And there's freedom and so much healing that happens when you allow the body to come around you and support you in those times. And when you allow them to come and pour out their love on you and affection on you. And it is vulnerable and it is scary sometimes, but it also leads to greater intimacy. So I just wanted to release that. But this morning, I am going to be preaching on the process to the promise. And I'm gonna be preaching on this because the Lord, about a month ago, said to me, he was like, I don't want any more abortions of prophetic words in my church. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what that means, God. Like, what are you talking about? And then he started opening to me that this church, that this body is pregnant with promise. A lot of you guys have dreams, you have visions, you have things that the Lord has spoken to you and that he's released into you and that you've been carrying for a long time. But you didn't understand the process that you were gonna have to go through in order to birth that dream and that vision, and so you've turned away from it. And when you turn away from a dream or a vision or something that God's birthed into you, hopelessness comes, despair comes. You aren't operating in what you're called to do, and you know you're not operating what you're called to do, whether people around you know that or not. You know you're not operating in what you're called to do. And then it leads to this place of sometimes we get offended at the Lord. Sometimes we question, did we actually hear God? Did he actually speak to us? Was that actually him? And then we can just settle into, I'm gonna use the word normal, that's not really what I mean, but like normal life. And your relationship with the Lord hits this roadblock. And you don't seem to know how to get past it. Does that resonate with anyone here this morning? Okay. So I'm gonna be preaching through the life of Joseph. And I'll be reading some sections and then some sections I'll be summarizing. Just to warn you, I'll let you know where I am in the scripture, but he takes up a lot of chapters and we'd be here all day if I just read every single thing. But I'm gonna be going through his life and 
Something I love, love about the life of Joseph is everyone can grab onto something from him. Everyone can relate in some way. Joseph has always been one of my heroes in the Bible. And I actually, when the Lord told me to preach on this, I actually was like, well, God, I wanna do some obscure character. Like everyone preaches on the life of Joseph or the life of David. I wanna do someone different. And I tried really hard to do someone different. I (laughs) prepared it for a long time. I wrestled with it. I kept wrestling with it. And I was like, I'm gonna do someone different. And then finally the Lord was just like, you know you're supposed to do Joseph, Colleen. I don't know why you're wrestling this. (laughs) So we're gonna be going through the life of Joseph. Cool, are you guys okay? Yeah, all right. So I'm gonna start in Genesis 37. Oh, by the way, while I'm doing this, the Lord's gonna ignite dream and new hope and fresh vision into you guys. He's gonna ignite it into you guys. Some of you guys are gonna get new dreams. Some of you guys are gonna be reminded of dreams that you had when you were little, but that um, maybe opposition, maybe rejection, maybe different things came along. And so you just never, it was never fostered inside of you. It was never encouraged. There was never a place for that dream. And the Lord's gonna breathe fresh fire on that. And he's gonna remind you of those things. I really, really know it. I really know it. I actually had five testimonies just from last night of people who got reawakened to stuff that God was doing inside of them. So listen to me, but listen to the Holy Spirit more. (laughs) All right, Genesis 37, starting in verse one. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, talking about Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And his dream, he actually has two dreams, and in the two dreams, it's him and then his family bowing down to him. But when he told it to his father, talking about the dreams, and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers are jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So this is our introduction to Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's a young man. He is the first offspring between Jacob and Rachel, which Rachel was Jacob's one true love. So he's the first offspring of them. And Jacob loves him more than anyone else. When you're the favored child in a family, all the other siblings know it. They can all see it. They can all tell it. They all don't like it. No one likes someone else to be the favorite. They all wanna be the favorite. But Joseph is just this young guy. He's a little immature. He's the tattletale of the family. He comes and he tells his dad everything that his brothers were doing, which I'm the tattletale of my family. And being the tattletale, you get beat up a lot. (laughs) And people don't like you. 
Your siblings are constantly like, why did you have to tell them? And your parents are like, stop telling me things. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was such a, like, I shared so many things. I even would tell on myself. I couldn't keep things to myself. So I would have to go to my parents and tell them myself. And when I was a teenager, my mom would say to me all the time, I, it would be okay if I just got to be naive to some things, Colleen. <laughs> it would really be okay. And I didn't understand that part of myself, but now that I'm older, I can see and I can understand. I just don't like things to be hidden. I don't understand the point of it. I don't understand why we hide so many things. I don't understand why we can't be vulnerable with people and be vulnerable with each other, especially family. But for some of us, family's not a safe place, so to speak. And I understand that. But this is Joseph. He's probably a little prideful. He's immature. He's naive. He tells his brothers about this dream. And even if you get that dream, you should have enough wisdom like, this is between me and Jesus. I do not share this to other people. <laughs> this is just something I'm going like, to tuck away in my back pocket. I'm not going to broadcast it to the whole world. And he's this young, immature man. But in this place, God deposits a dream inside of him. It's not when he's older. It's not when he's mature. It's not when he can carry the dream. It's in his youthfulness that God deposits it inside of him. And I love what it says about Jacob, that Jacob kept the saying in mind. Of course, Jacob rebuked him. He's the father. He has to bring order back to his house. Can't just lift up the son that says he's gonna have all of you bow down before him. That will cause chaos in the household. He's got a discipline. He's gotta bring order back in the house. But he kept the saying in mind, there was something about the dream, about the words, about the promise that resonated with Jesus and he, or not Jesus, with Jacob. And he thought about it. He meditated on it. He prayed on it. And he kept it in mind. And those of you who are parents, there's dreams that God is speaking to your kids in their youthfulness, in their immaturity, in their arrogance, right where they're at, and they're not dreams just to push aside and ignore. They're not just to say, those are silly little things. They don't really matter. When you grow up, you'll understand. No, they're things that God is putting inside of them that he wants to do with them. And do they know how to steward it? No, they don't know how to steward it. They don't know how to walk in that. And that's okay. It's okay but we have to pay attention to the things that God is saying to the next generations. They matter. I had a family last week, I think, come and talk to me, and I'm a big dreamer, and their kid, uh, he's about three years old, maybe four years old, was having these dreams at night, all these crazy dreams that having angelic visitations and just things happen to him in the night. And the parents don't know what to do with it. They're like, we don't want to crush this and we don't want to crush his heart. But at the same time, like he needs to sleep in his own bedroom, <laughs> right? He needs, he needs some boundaries because he's coming in our room every single night because he's having these dreams and they're awakening inside of him. And anyways, three years old, three and four years old, they matter, God's speaking to them, they matter. He 
doesn't just ignore them. It's not like when you become 20, you get to legal adult and then you get to speak to God. It's not the way that he works. But anyways, that's just a side note. But so after this, Joseph's brothers are out in the field and Jacob sends Joseph to check on them. Now Joseph's brothers are angry with him, rightfully so. I understand why they're angry with him. I don't understand to the point of wanting to murder him, but I do understand being angry with him. And they make this plot to murder Joseph. And then Reuben steps in and he convinces them not to. But then the brothers come up with another plan and decide they're gonna sell him into slavery. They're gonna make a profit off their family member. So Joseph is deposited this prophetic dream and this word over his life. And the first thing that comes after that are betrayal, accusations, grief, hatred, violence from the people who are closest to him, his family members. It's the very first thing. And they reject Joseph and they reject the dream over his life and the call over his life. They say, no, God's not gonna do that. The very first thing after he gets this prophetic promise, those closest to him turn on him. And Joseph's in slavery. Now, so many of us look at slavery and we think of, you know, bad stuff. It's not, it's not a fun place to be. It's not a place any of us wanna be. But the place of slavery is so important in your walk with the Lord. The place of learning hard work, learning dedication, learning to serve someone else, learning to serve someone else's vision. The place of slavery is the place where your character gets ironed out, gets ironed out over and over and over again. And if you think your character's done, the Lord will point something else out and you get more character working and character shaping inside of you. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Joseph's in slavery, and what happens? He's faithful where he's at. He's faithful in everything that he does in the season where the Lord has placed him. And most likely, he started as a shepherd working in the field because he's from a shepherd uh, family. And then... Little by little, as he was faithful, the Lord highlighted him, gave him favor, gave him favor with his overseers, and then he was raised up to the place where he's overseer of Potiphar's house. 
And some of us in our prophetic promises and in the prophetic things that the Lord has deposited into us, we just sit back and we just think the Lord's gonna drop them in our laps. And we're not faithful in the season that we're in. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery. He wasn't away from him. He wasn't somewhere else. Wasn't like when Joseph, when you get out of slavery, then I'll be with you. No, he's with him in slavery. He's with him in that season. And Joseph goes to work immediately. The Lord blesses the work of his hands. But we get prophetic promises and we just sit back and wait for them to happen. If you get a prophetic promise that you're gonna go to school, then you have to start researching schools and applying to schools. Well, I don't have the money. Well, as you take the steps out, the Lord will give you the money. If you're called to be a missionary, but you don't have the funds or you don't have a nation, then you start being a missionary in your own city. And the Lord will give you favor and other people will see that. And then everything else you need comes. If you have a dream that you're gonna see the sick healed, you have to go out and lay hands on them. They're not just gonna be healed by you sitting back. If you wanna speak prophetic words, then you open your mouth and allow the Lord to fill it. And you cultivate and you steward the things inside of your life and the dreams that you have in order to make them happen. I used this example last night that if I was going to need surgery, I'm not gonna go get surgery from a surgeon who had a dream and then a week later is operating on me. That's not gonna happen. I would run away from that person. <laughs> you can't touch me with a knife, are you kidding me? You're gonna go to a surgeon who has gone through the training that you know the training they've gone through. You know that they're accredited and that they're certified. You look at their record. You look at everything that they have and you're gonna choose the best surgeon out there. You're not just gonna go to someone who just has a dream to be a surgeon. But because of these suddenlies in the Bible, these suddenlies where Saul gets converted to Paul and these suddenlies where that person was healed and these suddenlies where David becomes king and all of these suddenlies we just get these promises and we think that they're gonna be suddenly. But we forget that there was a process before those suddenlies. Most of them are really long process. But for us, it's two pages in our Bible so we can just skip through that. <laughs> and we can just flip through and get to the next one and get to the next suddenly because we love the suddenlies. I love the suddenlies. I was saved off a suddenly in my life when the Lord came into my room, but it came out of a place of hardship after hardship and brokenness and me finally being in a place where God suddenly was ready to work on my life. Some of you in this room have idolized the promise. The promise has been put on a pedestal in your life and you think, if I just get there, if I just have this, if I can just go there, when really God's in the entire process. He's in the journey. 
But Joseph is in slavery. He's worked his way up. And then, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I'm on verse seven in chapter 39. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now, I didn't touch on this, I forgot to touch on this, but Joseph was put in charge of another man's household. And the other man didn't have to worry about anything under Joseph's care. Joseph was honorable, he was good. He took care of everything that the other man had. And in Luke 16, 12, it says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? Who will give you something that's your own if you can't be faithful with someone else's? And it doesn't mean begrudgingly. It doesn't mean in a bad place. It means joyfully that you take care of this thing as if it were your own. You pour your heart and your soul into it. You pour everything that you have into it and you treat this other man's business as if it were your own. Then the Lord gives you your own. You're faithful in the little and then he gives you much. But Joseph gets elevated. He's in this place of favor and immediately testing comes. And when I first read this, I thought that it was just a one-time occurrence with Potiphar's wife, but it says over and over, day after day. The season of testing. Over and over, day after day. The knock on the door happens every single day for Joseph to try to compromise his character, try to compromise his, uh, the man he's serving's business, try to compromise who he is and who has God called him to be. Day after day after day, the testing comes. It doesn't just come for a moment. It comes day after day to try to break you down and wear you down and to see, are you going to walk into this or not? And something I love about Joseph, I love the way that he sees this, but I'm not gonna go into it, but I do wanna say it, is that he says, who am I to do this and commit a sin against God? Not against Potiphar, not against Potiphar's wife, not against anyone else, but committing a sin against God. And when I read that, it hit me and I thought, how many sins would we commit if we knew that they were against God rather than against other people? We can justify against other people. But to have the vision and the sight and the perspective that no, this is me going against the Lord, the good one, the one who's poured everything out for me, the one who's brought me out of the pit, the one who saved me and rescued me and redeemed me. And the testing comes. And then one day, Potiphar's wife gets a hold of Joseph's garment and she keeps it. And then she spreads lies and accusations about him to all the guards and all the servants and then finally to her husband, Potiphar. 
And now I'm in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. In this place of favor, testing comes. Joseph stands firm against the testing. He does nothing wrong, but immediately he's put in prison. He's put in the pit, worse than slavery. It's dark, it's probably cold, filled with despair, no hope. No light thinking that this promise of God is gonna come to pass in my life. The prison is the time in your life where you die to your dreams. You die to who you are, what you have. And some of us go into darkness and some of us still manage to stay hopeful knowing that the Lord is with us because he's with Joseph in the prison. He's with him there too. And Joseph, once again, is faithful where he is. And he's faithful in the place that he's put. It doesn't say that he complained. It doesn't even say that he defended himself. It doesn't say that he rose up against the accusations and fought his way down to the prison. It doesn't tell us any of that. All it tells us is Joseph had favor, the Lord was with him, and he became overseer of the prison. He's been overseer of Potiphar's house, now he's overseer of the prison. He knows how to do that job. And once again, he goes to work right where he's placed. He doesn't complain, but wait, don't you know I'm supposed to preach to thousands? Why am I here preaching to one person? Don't you know that I'm supposed to see blind eyes healed, but why am I not seeing any healed? He doesn't go to the place of a victim. Of God, don't you love me enough? Why am I not seeing the things that you told me I was gonna see? And it's hard, like in our own lives, it's really hard not to go to that place. And it's hard not to complain and not to whine. And it's hard to get our focus changed to where we look and we say, God, what are you doing in this season? Rather than why am I here, God, why am I here? You know why you're there, there's false accusations against you. But they're false. They're false. You being there or not doesn't change that they're false. Doesn't change that you were true. And we go through these seasons of life. And if we're honest with ourselves, I know if I'm honest with myself, I go to complaining mode. Especially to those closest to me. I definitely go to complaining mode. To other people, maybe not so much, but to those closest to me, I definitely go to complaining mode. 
and I want to look for a way out, any way I can get out. I don't want to work in that season. I want to get out of that season. (laughs) I don't want to be faithful. And then while Joseph is in the prison, two men come and they're troubled one night and they can't sleep because they had these dreams. And Joseph interprets one of, well, he interprets both the dreams. I'm just gonna talk about the one dream though. He interprets the one man's dream who's the chief cupbearer to Pharaoh. The guy in charge of all of Egypt, the man on top, the one we all wanna be around right? And he interprets his dream, and in the interpretation, he says that you're going to be restored to chief cupbearer. And then he says in chapter 40, verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land, out of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So it's the first time we see Joseph kind of pleading for where he is. He used his gifts, he used the things that God has given him, he used his relationship with the Lord to bless someone else and help someone else even though he's in prison. Even though he's in the pit is what he calls it. And he's in despair and he's in this hard season yet he still used the things that God has given him to bless someone else and ask them to remember him when he's restored. Not so he can get famous, not so he can be at the high places, so that he can get out of the pit, that's all he wants. Not so that he can promote himself, but just so he can get out of the pit. And then what happens is the cupbearer is restored just as Joseph said, but he doesn't remember Joseph. So Joseph's in the prison for two more years. Two more years of being there because of false accusations, because of something you didn't do, because of, if anything, honoring Potiphar's wife and honoring her and honoring their commitment, this man that you've served so faithfully, and yet he turned on you at one accusation. And then Pharaoh starts having dreams and these dreams bother him, and he doesn't like them, and he doesn't understand them because no one in the land can interpret them correctly. No one can tell him what's going on. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And Joseph gets brought in front of Pharaoh. Now, if Joseph hadn't been in that prison, he wouldn't have met the very person to bring him to the place of authority. He had to be in that prison. He couldn't have done it another way. But so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh has two dreams. And I'm just gonna read the interpretation because it goes through the dreams with the interpretation. So I'm in chapter 41, verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven ears. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. 
God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." Joseph once again uses the gifts that God has given him, but even more than that, he uses his experience of being overseer over uh, Potiphar's house and over the prison cell to tell Pharaoh how to oversee these dreams that God's getting ready to do or these years that God's getting ready to do. And the thing that I love about Joseph is he comes to Potiphar, he gives him the strategy He gives him the insight. He gives him the wisdom of what he's supposed to do. But he never says, hey, pick me. Hey, I'm a wise and discerning young man. Hey, I can do all of those things that I'm telling you to set over them. He doesn't self-promote himself. He doesn't push. He's right on the grasp of a promise and of something God declared over him. But he doesn't push himself into it. He lays the cards on the table and trusts the Lord to do that for him. And Pharaoh thinks about it and says, there's no man as wise and discerning as you. You get placed over Egypt. Do what you've said you were gonna do. Do all of those things. You get placed over Egypt and there will be no one in the land that is greater than you except for me. So Pharaoh all of a sudden places him in this place of second authority in Egypt, this powerful empire at the time, goes from the prison to second in authority, in the suddenly, in the moment, in the moment where the 13 years of his life led up to this, the 13 years of slavery, of prison, of hardship. And he gets in this moment and then he does what he's called to do and then the famine comes and through the famine is when his brothers come because they need food. They're hungry. So they come to Egypt because Egypt has stored up all this food and they bow before him to get their food the fulfillment of the dream. But the dream now isn't in this place of prideful arrogance, look at me, you're all gonna bow down to me. The dream is in a place of tears and reconciliation and love and embracing one another and pouring out their hearts to each other. The Joseph who was given the dream couldn't walk 
in the manner of character, of anointing, of the place he had to be if he hadn't gone through the hard things. He couldn't stand in that place. And a lot of us look at the process as this evil thing and we hate it and we just wanna get through with it and we just wanna get done with it and we just wanna get on to the next thing. But it's God's mercy that he puts you in the process. It's his love for you and his mercy for you that you go through the hard seasons and you go through the hard times because he doesn't want you to fail when you get to your promise. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to be able to stand in who you are and who he created you to be and to fulfill the very callings that he has over your life. He wants you to be able to stand. But you can't stand if you don't go through the process. In Exodus 23, 29 through 30, this is uh, God talking to them about the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land he promised to Abraham. And he says, they, they come to understand that the land is full of enemies. And he says, I will not drive them, talking about the enemies, out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. He gives them this promised land. It's right in front of them. They can see it. They see it's full of enemies. The enemies scare them. The enemies seem big. If you remember, they send 12 spies in and out of the 12, only two come back saying we can take them. And those are the only two that get to go into the promised land. And the enemies seem big and they seem overwhelming. But there's beasts in the field that are more dangerous to you than the enemies are. There's the beast of pride. There's the beast of self-promotion. There's the beast of greed and envy and lust. There's the beast of things in our heart that will destroy the land and make the promised land desolate way more than the enemies will. And in fact, God is using the enemies to take care of the land while you're still waiting to possess it. They're taking care of the fields. They're taking care of the houses. They're taking care of the animals. They're the ones keeping things under control until you're ready to possess the land. And it's little by little that you go in and possess it. Little by little, he gives you what you can handle to possess. The authority in your life is the authority of the realm you can handle. And then a door opens and you walk through it and you're in more. And then a door opens and you walk through and you're in more. <clears throat> but some of us have these promises of God over our lives, but we've kept our lives so full and so busy that if the door opened up in front of us, we couldn't even walk through it because don't you know, God, I have all this other stuff that I'm doing. The Israelites had to be focused in order to take the promised land. They had to be focused on what fight they're about to fight right now. But we overwhelm ourselves with busyness. We overwhelm ourselves and our social media life, and all the things that we have to do. And we say yes to so many things 
that are good. I'm not saying they're bad things to say yes to, but because you've said yes to so many good things, you can't say yes to the best thing. You can't say yes to the best thing that God has for you. If you have a prophetic promise and a word over your life, you have to ask the Lord for strategy to be strategic to get it and to take it. And if you're called to preach, then you start preaching to people. Any opportunity you get, you start preaching to people because I'm called to preach. And if you're called to minister to the homeless, then you start going out any chance you get and you minister to them. And you're faithful in the moment of where you are. We need to cut out things of our lives that are just distracting us. They're just distractions. They're not gonna get you to your promised land. They're not gonna allow you to walk into it because they're just keeping your mind focused on different things. And so the promise of God continues to lay dormant in your life. And it continues to overwhelm. The cost of chasing after your promise isn't going to be greater than the reward. It's just not. God's faithful and he's faithful to you. And he's faithful to your sacrifices and he's faithful to your suffering and he's faithful to everything that you go through and the reward will be worth it. The reward will be worth it every single time. Why? Because he's worth it. And even if the only reward you get is this beautiful journey with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord in your life, then the reward is worth it. It's worth it. That's all you get out of it. Are you kidding me? That's the most beautiful thing you could get out of it. And some of you guys have dreams over your life and in your heart, but maybe you're older and you're like, I just don't know how that would ever happen. First, I would challenge you on that. Joshua, was, Joshua waited at least 60 years before he entered into the promised land. At least 60 years. Moses was 80 years old when he stood in front of Pharaoh for the very first time to ask for his people to leave. David waited 15 years from anointing to become king, and he was only king of Judah, and then it was seven more years before he became king of all of Israel. Joseph waited 13 years for the promise to be fulfilled over his life. Jesus didn't even start his public ministry until he was 30. You're not too old. God never disqualifies you based on age. He just doesn't. He's the God who renews you and lifts you up on eagle's wings and he renews your youth and he renews everything about you in your life. And even if you are old and even if you've reached that place, God's a God of generation after generation after generation. So your promises are gonna be fulfilled from generations to come. It's not gonna be fulfilled. It's not not gonna be fulfilled just because you've gotten older. It's not the way it is. And that's not the way he works. And that's just a lie to discourage you because he's faithful and he's true and he's just and he's right. And if he speaks something, then his word will come to pass. It will. 
There's this commercial um, on YouTube. It's the only thing that I watch that I would see commercials on. But there's this commercial on YouTube, and it's a car commercial. And it was kind of weird because I never watch commercials. I skip through them the first second I get. But this commercial caught my heart, and it's this car commercial, and this guy's a grandfather. And he's finally to the place in life where he can afford his dream car. So he gets his dream car and he's so proud of it and he's washing it and he's just making it look all nice and fancy. And then his granddaughter walks through the door and she's about 16 years old, probably just got her license. And he hands her the keys to the car. And she says, but grandpa, this is your dream. I can't take this. This is your dream. And he says, I have a new dream now. I have a new dream now. I have a dream that my dream will be awakened in generations to come. I have a dream that's bigger than myself and that's bigger than my life. And I have a dream that the way that I'm living and the way that I'm walking and the things that I'm cultivating in my relationship with the Lord, my kids will do and my grandkids will do and my great can kids will do. My great grandkids. <laughs> They'll all do it. Why? Because they saw me be faithful through disappointment, through hardship, through accusations that weren't true. They saw me be faithful through all of these things so they know they can be faithful too. But some of us shelter our kids a little too much from some hard things. Your kids have to go through the process too. They just do. And if they watch you walk through the process, they'll be more encouraged and strengthened to walk through it on their own. They just will. They freak out if they've never seen anything bad and all of a sudden bad things happen. I know, I deal with them a lot. <laughs> but if they watch you deal with even small struggles, if you're honest about them, then they can comprehend the bigger struggles a little bit more. It's just my two cents. You can take that or leave that. Um, <laughs> thanks. I'm going to go ahead and have you guys stand. Something I feel, uh, something I feel this morning is, for some of you guys, there's the part of not defending yourself has hit you deep. And there's, it's a hard thing to trust the Lord to be your defender. It can be difficult especially when the accusations are so overwhelming and when they are accusing your character and maybe even your family and they're accusing all of these things in your life, it's hard to trust the Lord to be your defender. I went through a season where 
um, I was dealing with some accusations against me. And even the people around me were telling me, you have to defend yourself. You have to stand up for yourself. You have to speak up. You have to do all these things. You have to fight this. You have to fight this person. But the Lord, every single night, I would go home and the Lord would remind me, wait, I'm your defender calling. That person's not your enemy. There's a greater enemy. I'm your defender. Don't you know that your character will hold up? Don't you know that the fruit of your life will hold up? Don't you know that I'm with you in this calling? And day after day after day, I would sit in meetings after meeting after meeting of people trying to draw negative, angry things out of me. And sometimes they succeeded. I'm not gonna pretend like I'm perfect because I'm not. And sometimes they succeeded. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't turn against this person. And I felt like David that how dare I go against God's anointed one against the one in whom his image is, against the one who he loves just as much as he loves me. How dare I go against them? And when I decided to humble myself and to let the Lord defend me, that situation got resolved really quickly, really quickly, like with a situation that going on for months, like within weeks got resolved and it led to total reconciliation between me and this person and humility and grace and heartfelt apologies and heart-to-heart connection God doesn't want to destroy anyone in your life his idea of justice is repentance and reconciliation it's them coming into the kingdom It's them knowing him the way that you know him. That's his idea of justice, is pouring out his love over them the same way that he's poured it out over you. So this morning, if if that does resonate with you, and you can come up with the other ministry calls, I know that's a vulnerable one, but if that does resonate with you, I want you to come up and I want us to pray for you. And I also wanna pray for those of you who have dreams and they've died. And you're like, I don't even know how to begin to reawaken this thing. And I just want us to pray that Holy Spirit would come and breathe a fresh fire on that. My ministry team, if you're praying for someone with that, just pray that Holy Spirit will come and do that in them. give birth to something prematurely it takes artificial life to keep it alive if you're in a season of just enduring hardship after hardship after hardship and even me preaching here like I get that but it's just hard it's hard we want to pray for you that you'll stand firm you'll stand strong and that you will see all the places that the Lord is with you and then if you just need prayer for healing or 
just need someone to come and support you and love you, whatever it is you're going through, we will definitely pray for you. This is a house of prayer, and we love to pray for each other.